0: Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small app.
1: In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about swans, zoos, and we have part two of our interview with Mike Brace.
0: Welcome to episode 294 of The Kindness Project. I'm joined by a man who don't even know what episode we're on. And a we don't even know what that is.
1: It,
0: it's, it's Yeah, and it's the start of September, which is always a weird time, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's like we've had a quite a chilled summer. And I don't know about you two, but I'm just sort of desperate to have a bit more routine in my life again. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, I like summer as an opportunity to just go, right, okay, let's do a bit of travelling, have a bit of fun um relax a bit more, things are a bit more calm, even though I've been, been working in between. But I'm sort of head back in the game now in September. How about you guys? What do you think?
2: I'm alright. I never broke my routine. I never went away or anything like that. I just I just carried on
0: flooding along. It's not work sonny Charlotte. Head down, but nothing changes. Let's get on with it. Let's get down to business rust
2: you got stuff to do. you got stuff to do. You ain't got trying to be swanning
0: off. How do you feel about that? Do you think you need a break or do you, do you need to, like, get your head down? So did you use the phrase swanning off? Yeah. I love a bit of swanning off.
2: You don't like swans? Yeah,
0: you ain't got time uh, to no, swan I, off. I, I, this fallacy about me not liking swans has gone on for long enough. Would I choose to give one a cuddle? No. Probably not. Would I Comedically. No, would I?
2: I, <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> com-
0: comedically,
2: no. I I I
0: I'm pretending
2: that I, I not like swans.
0: On your no, head. no. I I there is no shock and terror when it comes to me and swans. I remember um,
2: I got uh, attacked by a swan in Bath Park once. Got it! <laughs> What's the story with that? I, I tried to run away, but
0: he called me. You know I seem to spend half my life sharing stories of you running away from animals, Russ. Um, I I remember when you, that time when you... Was it? ...poked a wasp nest with a stick.
2: Yes. I tried to run away, and, that- and they called me. <laughs>
0: You're not having much luck in your life with then, uh, avoiding I'm, animals that try and catch you, are you? Mummy
2: used to tell a story about our uh, granddad took us to London Zoo. Oh no, the city Zoo, you know the local one. And I put my yeah, hand on the horse's nose and he bit me. Right, so but that's not where you ran away, is it? <laughs> no, did
0: you run away? I didn't right? run away, no, I probably cried, though. You ran away with a No, you no, no it I back? probably quiet. Probably quiet. So you've run away from a swan, you've run away from a wasp, or multiple wasps, they weren't oh, just one right. wasp. That's absolutely yeah. right, I had you stings all over horse. me that day. I know, I remember. I don't remember, but I've I've done the story now to say, say that it's in grade. Well, it's like one of those memories where you go, I still remember it, but you don't remember. I don't Start even fact, properly remember, remember
2: what I did to upset them. You poked them with a stick, no, right? I don't think I poked them. I I pulled the stick out of the ground, thinking I'm going to walk along eating things, and out <laughs> come loads of wasps with it. <laughs> yeah, that's because the stick was in a wasp's head. The moral of the story, don't be so silly and pull on the stick.
0: Yeah, and don't hit the start for his sticks randomly, I think, is the other moral of the story. But we'll let you off for us, because it was a long time ago. You were you were only 42 <laughs> or 41. That was it? last week, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Wait animal stories so question of the podcast not that we're really doing great in the podcast anymore listeners is what's your best animal story what story have you got involving an animal and my one is clearly the one with the swan where we were in italy i wanted to have a little swimming like Garda, and uh, a swan that got stuck in the, on the beach in the sand um uh, kept uneasin' at me because I was going too near him and I couldn't, I didn't have a choice because that's the only way to get into the, in into that part, particular part of the lake. What's your favourite? I don't um, particularly have
1: any, I don't think. You've not got
2: any
0: animal stories.
1: Uh, see, the thing is, people will be like, oh yeah, I remember this from when I was little, I remember that from when I was little. I don't think I have any solid memories before I was like 10 years old.
2: Oh, sorry. <laughs>
1: Okay. Most of the stuff I remember is stuff people
0: have told me and then I've sort of so created in am, my head. What animal stories have you been told about you to, um, to that, that uh. resonate? No? Well, I, I've got one story about Charlotte when she was a kid. I remember taking her to Colchester Zoo years ago and there was a gorilla who... Uh, it was raining. With the, the, blanket. With the blanket over his yeah, head. And literally, you were obsessed with it. You were like, I don't uh, I like, like the blankets. It's true. It's true. So. didn't it, it, was to seal it as well. I remember
1: that being a detail of no, that. No, that was
0: at London. So, see, all of, all of the animal, particularly gorilla related um, <laughs> things, is coming back. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um,
0: about the monkeys in the. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, okay. Well, I wasn't there. Wasn't there? Oh,
1: the monkeys were there.
0: Wait, right, do you want to you wanna tell the monkey story?
1: This is actually a lot more recent, um. So I do remember this.
0: Was in 2010. So you remember? <laughs>
1: um, and this was the one where we were in the drive-through. I think I mean, we were in the car. Um. And the monkeys were all coming up, and they had to be in a cage, where most of the other animals were like roaming and stuff. It was large Simon? roaming. Oh. Um, it was it was a large area still, but it was like in a cage. And they were like, once you go in here, you got to be really careful with so the monkeys. In
0: a cage, but you drive your car through the cage. Oh, yeah. oh they
2: still
1: you- the cage. They yeah, still so all called- the
2: stop called- off your car, don't they? Yeah. You well, they're called-
1: they stole the, uh, the, the thing that sprays the water and then they pulled out the yeah. nozzle. Um, they were just rubbing their junk all over the front mirror nice.
2: window. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I found yeah, up about it. taking my car because my car was a lace car. I found up about taking mine Whipsnoy, with the kids, which is yeah. just up the road. And, uh, they said to me, no, you're not sure to go in there. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm going as a father. specifically because of the monkeys ripping stuff off the car. How about the kids? I mean, that's—I'd I'd probably be more worried about yeah, that. Yeah, the no, no. kids, the
0: kids the phone, are pretty civilized now. You don't know. You don't know. Um, and that rust—he might poke it with a stick. <laughs> Can you do me a favor, rice? Can you phone your insurer? Uh, or your lease company and go, excuse me, I've got a reputation. It's an old one to be fair. It's <laughs> so I'm gonna turn up with a stick. <laughs> um just it's, it over the shoulder like oh, it like that. It's, it's yeah I, that reminds me of like a film when I can't remember where somebody just walks around with a stick around their shoulders. But just phone you and draw for me, Rats and go, <laughs> I had got it is a historic representation of me just either pulling sticks out of stuff or hitting stuff with sticks. Um, am I allowed anywhere near my car or not? Um, and when they say no, you're going to have to say <laughs> it. On that note, let's um, uh, instead of talking about rods and sticks, let's deliver some uh, some good news this week in the form of Pizza Edition. That, that was too far. Pizza Edition. Um and <laughs> of course the cottage for pizza delivery driver leaves struggling mummy ears. Do you want to tell us a story? Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> As think the podcast was from That's
1: just it really
0: apart I this <laughs>
1: you got it um, I just I was scrolling down and I noticed it had exactly how long it takes to read it which is really helpful actually Um two minute reads.
0: Two minute read two minute read two minute read two minute read and hopefully uh, how long listen we don't know do we
1: probably less
0: probably less less than a two minute listen let's give it a go I'm
1: struggling a was shocked of a pizza delivery driver after her 11-year-old daughter unknowingly ordered the pizza on her tablet. Francesca Emma, who had recently returned from a holiday, who was facing financial difficulties, found herself unable to pay for the pizza her daughter had ordered. Distraught, she broke down in tears at the door, promising to scrape together the 18.50 the next day. Fortunately, the driver was understanding and spoke to his bro- boss at Pronto, their favourite p- pizza restaurant. He reassured Francesca that she needed. Not worry. And a few days later she received a note through her window containing forty dollars from the pizza forty dollars, it's forty pounds. So used to us a seven American stories. As soon as I saw a sign, I was like, it's dollars from the delivery driver. And the note expressed his imp- empathy and explained that although it wasn't much, he hoped her daughter had enjoyed the pizza. Francesca, overwhelmed at the driver's kindness, tearfully recalled the incident. She'd initially asked for the pizza to be returned, but the driver called the owner of the restaurant and explained the situation. He assured Francesca that she could pay the next day and left the pizza with her. The note she received later touched her deeply. Grateful for the driver's selflessness, Francesca managed to track down the individual and express her gratitude. They met up and the driver revealed that the sight of her daughter crying had deeply affected him. He shared that he too faced many challenges in his own life. This heartwarming story serves as a reminder of the power of kindness and compassion. It also highlights the struggles faced by many individuals and families in today's society acts of generosity no matter how small can have a significant impact on those who are going through difficult times i i,
0: I absolutely love that story and, and i mean the the interesting thing about that and and i i think part of the what i've learned from sort of interviewing so many people on the podcast and sharing stories is uh you Without doing that, sometimes it's really easy to live in your own bubble and not realise that there are people going through significant challenges. Charlotte and I Sophie went out the other day um, and um, uh, trolled the streets of where we live um, collecting collecting, uh, uh, money and food for people who need it. And I know that the few who delivered the food to, to the local food bank, um, they were really grateful for what we've done because there are people out there who are struggling to put a few goblins together to pay yeah. for a pizza, like something a lot of us might sort of take for granted, So we can do something to help. Um, and clearly... Um, you know, pizza delivery delivery drivers are not gonna be the most affluent people in the world unless I'm wrong. Um however, the fact that he made a commitment to her to say, here's the pizza and um I'm gonna help you out with another book I absolutely love. So well done that pizza delivery driver. Um absolutely love that. Um, The next uh, article is from the Northern Echo. So we've gone from peter addiction to puppetry addiction, the act of kindness that led to a puppetry business.
1: An enterprising Northeast woman has found her voice in business, and it all began when she discovered a creative way to communicate with a dementia patient. Actor, carer, entrepreneur, Becky Ashton smiles as she remembers the spark that led to her launching her own business with a family of hand puppets. Having trained in performing arts and spent years as an entertainer, Becky had moved into the care sector in her native Weardale, and those she looked after in their homes, including an old lady with dementia. Try as I might, I couldn't get through to her one day, so I decided to try something different to make the connection, she recalls. She picked up one of the woman's socks and used her acting skills to bring it to life as a hand puppet. It would appear from behind the door, speak in a funny voice, and the woman began to respond. As she gradually opened up, Mr. Sock would play along, gently unlocking the door's conversations about her memory. That was definitely the spark I needed, says Becky. She wouldn't respond to me, but she would respond to Mr. Sock, and it was magical to see it happen. When she went from being a care ho- home care assistant to working in care homes, Becky continued to use socks as puppets until she decided to purple fluffy monster called Baby Hudson was introduced alongside more puppets, which were added to Becky's team of quirky assistants. The puppets started singing and building up their parts. I couldn't believe how much they helped communicate with people. As word spread, Becky was asked to take her puppets into other care homes, as well as dementia cafes at St. Catherine's Church in Crook. That evolved into performances at local events, and she built a large set for her character. It reached the point at which she wondered if she might make a business, and in in June this year, she took the plunge by leaving her job as a carer and launching a full-time business called Puppet Pals. There's now an ever-growing family of puppets, including Baby Hudson's sister, Liberty, Cornelius the Cat, Thunder and Lightning, the twin baby dragons, Stevie the Snail, and puppets of colour, Josh and Jenny. It's a labor of love because acting and performing are in my blood," says Becky. She has been immersed in show business throughout her life. Her ba- parents met at Butlins in Finley in 1972. Her dad was a theater technician and her mum worked in the Holiday Park shop before also learning the ropes as a sound technician. Uh, her father, Dave, later became based at Billingham Forum Theater for a while, but the couple also traveled around the country. They toured the Nolands and became friends with a host of stars including Walkman Wise, Frankie Howard, Phil Silvers, Barbara Windsor, Sid James, Val Dunican, Freddie Parrotface Davies, Bernie Clifton, Bobby Thompson, The Little Waster, and Ken Dodd. Ken Dobb was especially close. He was always just Uncle Ken to me, says Becky, who was among the mourners alongside her mum at the legendary community comedian's funeral in 2018.
0: As one well of the fears of dominating their professional lives, the family has, has also made a strong contribution to community arts. Due to their long-standing commitment to the Phoenix players in Stanhope, Miriam was made president and Dave became vice president. Miriam was also part of Stanhope Court. Uh, horror society for 35 years. It was no surprise then when Beggy inherited their love of arts. Starting off in holiday parks as part of the entertainment theme uh, and then moving on to everything from kids' club karaoke, game show in and parties in the, in the dark. She um, went on to play Lala, the comedy ugly sister, in a production of Cinderella and also worked on the polar express. so massive contribution to the arts from the fan family uh and you know an involvement on there which actually ended up in uh badly helping people with dementia um uh launch puppet pals and just helping people with dementia communicate so i think that's part of um up uh, the challenge isn't it you know just making sure that if somebody's got dementia you keep those lines of communication as open as possible and in actual fact russ i'm going to i'm going send you a sock um and i'd like oh. you to uh generate your own puppet little russ who walks around carrying a twig not as thick um, you've got to well, when, it
2: the you a little bit on your head. When I was talking the streets, I felt a bit bad because you troll the streets behind this. I do it just rubbing people's sticks. What well, were you saying about that, Charlotte? <laughs> you steal people's sticks. Yeah, <laughs> randomly. <What>? I'm a. <laughs> I'm a real stick club, but if I say something in the street. Oh, no. oh, if I say God. something in the straight, i I have to pick it up. I've never lost that curiosity that I had when I was a kid like that. That's it. I wonder if that's a good stick. That's yeah, stick. Good, stick.
1: Oh, no, that's it
2: wasn't, a good stick. It wasn't just sticks. It led me into trouble a
0: few times as well. Yeah, yeah, we're not gonna talk about that, but that was a long time ago. Um, what? What, um, what? What? What constitutes? I mean, I didn't realise Russ was our resident stick expert. What constitutes a good stick, Russ? Well, that was a broom handle with the wasps. That was
2: a broom, <laughs> that's broom not handle. That is yeah. it. clearly is that's well, that's a, a good stick. That's a good stick. What a broom I'm handle? Something wood. Something sticking, stick something wooden and long. Is that is that is that all the stick is? I thought we needed no, needed to Let, me, something let, me, just, let me just hammer play with you though. Know, I never lost a stick. When I'm running my never... I still held on to it.
0: <laughs> and on that note, we'll we won't do that other news article because we're gonna move on to the rest of the show. We've got the amazing legend of a human being, Mike writes on this week. Mike uh, has lived a fairly um, amazing life. Um, uh, uh, He was involved in an accident uh, early in his life that meant that effectively he was was, was blind, he was blinded, um, uh, but went on to have the most incredible experiences both um, inspiring himself, helping other people, being really community focused, um, and I just wanted to get on and share, his, uh, uh, get him on the podcast and share his story. So that's here from Mike. One, one thing I wanted to ask you that I'm curious about is because you know I did research for, for 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 today, and even though we've known each other personally for quite a while, I wanted to like sort of explore some elements of your life that just. I think our listeners would benefit from hearing about Mm -hmm. talk to me about vision 2020 because i know you did some work with them talk to me about the challenges that um organization was designed to deal with and, and 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 the progress they've made
3: yeah the context of that was uh 2000 2001 um you had a situation where the medical professions to do with ophthalmology, optometry, orthoptics, etc., they were pretty fractured. They, they yep. really didn't speak to each other very much. You had social work going through um, quite a difficult time looking at balance between what occupational therapists did, what specialist rehab workers for the blind did and then you've got children's services so when adults that were talking about rehabilitation with children it was habilitation because they, there was nothing to rehabilitate. yeah. so yeah. there was confusion there was system problems with the, um, the registration so nothing was aligned yeah. and then you had the voluntary sector which um, I think at one stage there were seven hundred and thirty-three charities uh, dealing with people with sight loss or blindness. Right. So seven hundred and thirty-three charities. Huge total, yeah. um, and none of them were. They were all competing with each other. They were um, saying, "Well, we are the voice of X, Y, Z. and Z." So, um, a national, uh, international organization called Vision Twenty Twenty basically was looking at eradicating uh, uh, avoidable blindness worldwide. Yeah, And the notion then was that they would set up um, uh, 2020 units in each of the countries around the world. Right. Australia, I think, were the first uh, to set up a Vision 2020 and the UK then were the second. And I was at that stage of my job that basically... You know it was challenging i was uh, an assistant director so i I'd really made it I was on a really good uh, salary but i'd got to the stage where i wanted to do something um that made a difference that started to give other people uh, with a sight loss potentially a, a chance to have those choices many of which i'd managed to
0: have what when when you're thinking about leaving that quite comfortable position that you'd worked really hard to get to, what were the factors that made you think I'm I'm doing it and and, 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 and what ultimately was was the main decision factor that you, you thought about?
3: I think I think probably whereas I'd become a, a senior manager uh which was my choice i i I, you know like most people you you do the job and then
0: you get promoted
3: you get promoted (laughs) because basically you've had either good or bad experiences of managers so if it's a bad experience you think oh i could do the job better than they could if you have had good experiences you think well actually i could give my my benefit my knowledge experience to someone else and and improve the service so I've gone up and up and up, and I, but as assistant director level, it was budgets, it was staffing, it was dealing with disciplinaries, It's a different it was, job, it, isn't it? It, you know, yeah. And I suddenly thought, you know, uh, I I've probably got another you know 10 15 years of work. Do I want to do this, you know, uh, all the way through yeah. to then? And and I thought, well, probably not. And the interesting thing, as well as having a disability. The last thing I ever wanted to do was to work in anything to do with disability. Yeah. Because yeah. I I didn't get, want to get pigeonholed. You know. Yeah. Oh well, the reason you're doing this is 'cause you're disabled. Or the reason you got the job. <laughs> yeah, as well. got I mean, exactly, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I I've been averse to doing anything to do with um a job that. i'd been doing all my sport with with blind and trying to get the sports club then to provide those opportunities that i'd set up in 73 etc so i had that side of it you know uh, i thought fairly well under control and then suddenly they said we're setting up this and again there were three or four organizations that were saying well what we could do is form ourselves and combine our four or five charities into this vision 2020 yeah yeah. Um, and I was applying for other senior jobs, director of social services in uh, in um, two or three different authorities, and I got a runner-up on two occasions, and I thought, you know, perhaps I've hit the glass ceiling yeah, yeah. in that. <clears throat> and then this opportunity came up, and I thought, you know, again, a bit like the guide dog, perhaps I should uh, think about my prejudices and uh, experiences yeah. and see whether I could use that. Uh, in a better way. So yeah. I applied and got the job, but I still wanted a bit of a life belt. So, what I managed to do, so I was, I think I was fairly well um, appreciated in the job I was doing. I managed them to agree a two year secondment. Okay. So they, so you
0: could go back.
2: After. My job,
3: uh, if, if the charity then didn't work out, and then basically I could go back to my old job. Uh, if if that happens, so that, for me that was a really good life belt. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then you're working from home. Uh, I had no staff. There was just me. Right. Literally just me. I had so my, a bit
0: of a change in circumstances. Exactly. Yeah. I had my
3: reader who who or, or I used to have a, have to have a reader because even in the social work job, virtually everything was uh, on paper yeah. was written. And therefore, I had to have someone that could come in and read the, the reports or help me look at yeah. court reports, etc. Yeah. So she actually, bless the cotton socks, said, oh, yeah, I'll carry on uh, being your reader. So she would come over and read stuff from me from Greenwich over to where I lived in Hornchurch. And, uh, and that was fairly liberating. So I then had to learn how to do accounts. I then had to yeah. learn how to do... Um, all sorts of different um, skills in terms of writing stuff and reports and stuff like yep. that uh, and, and lots of travel or uh, national travel so you're travelling up to Scotland or Wales yep. or Northern Ireland and things like that so again that was uh, a slightly different focus from you know uh, and the whole idea was to get the voluntary sector, the social sector and the medical sector Aligned. to actually speak together yeah. So we formed a, an alliance. We have 54 national organisations in membership, um, right across the medical and the and social and the and the voluntary sector. So we had the, all the big national institute for the blind and guide dogs and yeah. some Dunstans yeah. or blind veterans as they are now, um, uh, and and all the key sort of players, of the Poplington Trust, etc. They were all. Um, members, yeah, and form the uh, committee. Uh, they were my tr- sort of trustees. Came from the different organisations. Yes. yeah, and that, that and that really started to push. So we then managed to get research subgroups. We had a children's subgroup. We had um, all sorts of sub. Um, groupings that could then focus on some of the key issues across the sectors.
0: And in terms of, I, I mean I'd, I'd imagine that alignment project is a, certainly a long term one. How aligned do you think the sector supporting uh, blind and partially sighted paper is now?
3: Well it it, it, it took a bit of a stumble during, uh, during lockdown yeah. because basically the funding organisations, because they all funded Vision 2020, and because of the it financial stopped. issues, they were yeah. shocked. So yeah. Vision 2020 then uh, ceased. It it, it uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got dropped. But the 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 notion of working together was then quite embedded uh, so now yeah, there's yeah. about 10 organizations that have formed an alliance around children services which i still have a feed into yeah the, there's uh, another alliance looking at employment and yeah. various other things so so the notion now of uh, a separate grouping is uh, is there? less yeah it's less than it was yeah but uh, there is still bits of it now still today you know, going back something
0: sort of yeah but the, the conversation started right and there's yeah. more there's more alignment yeah. than there yeah i mean it's something as big as that that's potentially a you know a, a, a 20 30 40 year project yeah. isn't it to get yeah. it properly aligned if if anything um i want to talk sport. Yeah. um uh so talk to me about your uh for, as you said you started screening 10 years after you launched your site was that 10 to 12 years uh, and how did, yeah. it, how did yeah. it turn into something you did now, talk talk me through that journey
3: <laughs> when when I left school there was absolutely no sporting uh, much of any description available yeah. to people that weren't in a in a specialist school setting there were three or four blind cricket teams, uh, one in Worcester, one in London, uh, and a couple of others dotted around.
0: Yeah, because there's, there's a blind college in Worcester. That's right. There? Yeah. That's right.
3: Yeah. And there's one up in um, Shrewsbury, uh, it's in Hereford now, and there was um, the one of the schools in London. And But that was it. Yeah. So nothing really organised, not very competitive, mainly rambles and uh, yeah, stuff yeah. like that so a group of us left school um four four mates and we started to go to uh, uh help set up an evening class at holland park school okay so this was an ordinary evening class and the same as anyone else that does languages or whatever yeah <clears throat> and they set up a blind football okay yeah five a side blind football evening class we all signed up to it and thought, wow, you know, this is fantastic to actually get a, a mainstream, you know, paid for that, you know, yeah. you pay for. And, and we met a guy there and he said, well, you know, there's not much else going. So eight of us met in this pub and we thought, this is ridiculous. This, you know, we, we must, you know, there's start got to be more. About it. Yeah. So we've stuck a fire in the committee and set up the Metro Sports Club. And we we did that in 1973, uh, <clears throat> and within a few months, we had probably 50, 60, 70 members all wanting God, to join us. So there's a
0: the massive appetite for yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah. then
3: suddenly someone said, um, one of the rehab workers said he'd been over to uh, Norway, and been to some event called the Butter Stolen Ski Week for the blind right it was set up by a blind man in Norway 10 years earlier that that basically thought cross-country skiing with the tracks etc ideal for the blind would we think about going? And I thought, he's bonkers. <laughs> the and I also remember the last night of the Lemmings documentary. Think, you saw these things dropping off the cliffs. You know what? One,
0: you, you know, know what? I, I love... I I, lo- I love I, 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 There is something about Scandinavia and the yeah. Scandinavian attitude to life yeah. that yeah. I just think is a bit mad, but he's just... Like there's a guy we've had on the podcast before who invented a, a an act. Funny enough, is is blind guy invented an act called "Be My Eyes." That yeah, I think yeah, we've yeah. we've spoken about before. Yeah. And um when we interviewed him on the on the podcast, it was so funny because he said, "I had this idea. I, I didn't know how to make it. I didn't know how to code or anything like this. But I was in Copenhagen and." Um, uh, read about this, um, this coding, like, um, I can't remember what they call them. Um, they basically, they go along and they go, I've got an idea. And then the code might says, and he said, um, Chris, it was, uh, 50 euros to, to attend. Um, uh, but it was free beer. So the, the best I was going to get was my app done. The, um, the worst I was going to get was really pissed. Um, Actually, both occurred. So, like, yeah, he just got yeah, really drunk and got yeah. his headphones. I just like that. Like, I don't know why, but it just made well, me it, really exactly chuckle.
3: They, they said, you know, blind pick the skiing. And, and my mentality was, as I said earlier on, well, if someone else can do it, then yeah. I'm going to be able and to I, do, and do actually it. And
0: I'll, I'll have a go. Yeah, yeah, know? and I get it. So, so you went along. So,
3: 15 of us went over there. Yeah. Um, Absolutely... You know, the the freedom of movement. Normally, if you're blind, you're, you know, uh, tagging on behind a dog or you're holding someone's arm or using white stick and and you're largely reliant for your movement, uh, which can be a bit stinted. Suddenly, you're on these skis and you've got a guide that you've got to trust to give you the lefts and the rights and the ups and the downs because it's cross country. And you're out, you know, I'm a Londoner through and through, happy boy. And you're suddenly out on the mountain. There's no sound, there's no bird song, there's no insects because it's high up. Yeah. And and the silence was just almost spiritual. It was just and suddenly you're doing this wonderful exercise. You've got freedom of movement. You're interacting with another human being who's acting as your eyes and almost becomes uh, an honorary vision impaired person because they're they're your eyes. For, yeah. So you've got a bond and some sort of link that was was almost very strange for me at that stage because I, I you know most sports I'd done hadn't really relied on on someone else then yeah you know helping me. I I've been doing the cricket or the football. Or football. And it was down to you to do it all.
0: And and and, and add, add, what's the right balance between that guy helping and supporting you, but also as you say giving you that freedom to do it in your way is it like where does the guide stand is it like well uh,
3: they're, they're your enabler i mean yeah, that's the whole yeah, thing yeah, yeah. I and mean, that that's and 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 to some extent that's been part of my philosophy now that you know enabling someone to do something that they could do or want to do or can dream about has, has was so important and these people have just been so special for me for my dreams to to then be able to go and and do these mad mad things over the years that I've done I mean I've done 54 different sports over the years right. most of which I've been absolutely rubbish at, <laughs> but I'm the one that's decided that that's not for me yeah and yeah. in order to do all these things I, I've, I've then been enabled in many cases by people even more bonkers than me that have enabled me to do it.
0: What, it. What's the sport you very quickly thought never again? What What's the one, like, like, skiing was the one where you thought, yeah, I'm really loving this. What was the sport where you go, yeah, this isn't me?
3: sailing I <laughs> did get a bit twitchy. It was a 200 foot cliff and right. the guy rather, rather wonderfully, because he knew we were blind, had arranged it fairly near a, a road, so the blind may not be able to see how high we were, but you could hear a right. road two hundred foot below. Yeah, yeah. and therefore um, that for me. And then someone said, "I'm, I'm, I'm going to do your safety line. You know, I'm, I'm competent." And I'm thinking. Yeah, but if he gets it wrong, who's going to pay the price?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So I think
3: abseiling was was one of the ones that I was probably most twitchy about.
0: I've I've only done AB, urban abseiling. I've trapped <laughs> myself off the orbit and off oh, yeah. of, uh, off of um, <coughs> build it buildings in town. Um, and it's not a natural experience. No, no.
3: Is it? Walking off that like, cliff and
0: walking down yeah, backwards. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, like whereas where I can imagine being out in nature and being skiing quite meditative. The yeah. last thing you do yeah. when you jump yourself off of something is meditating. Yeah, exactly. It's just not. But no, yeah, I, I think
3: lab sailing is is certainly the
0: the, the, the one yeah. the one that you, the, you you wouldn't do. So um, starting skiing, went over to Norway the experience. Okay. What happens next? And
3: and then. Uh, About the year after that, uh, they suddenly announced that the first winter Paralympic Games for uh, the disabled is going to be held in Sweden in cross-country skiing and alpine skiing. And for the first time, um, 1960, the summer games for the Paralympics started. Um, But in 76 was the first time the blind were included in uh in the paralympics and the first winter games were also then going to be in 1976 right so there were three of us in in london uh two mates of mine and myself we thought hold on we've we've done skiing now twice (laughs) (laughs) cross-country skiing twice you know why don't we ourselves forward we started to train with the army down in Aldershot
0: um so this is one of the advantages <coughs> that Scandinavians have got they've just got the uh, yeah, they've start, got the climate like snow helps yeah exactly that, well, that, that definitely helps no, yeah. um,
3: there were a plastic cross country track down at Aldershot where the army was so right we, we used to go down there and train on this and then I had a selection meeting down there and we got selected And I've only recently, I've been writing a book about the history of my club 50 years on, and we've only just realised that myself and my two friends, um, both of which have sadly passed away um, very young, but the three of us were the first blind competitors to compete for Great Britain in the Paralympic Games ever.
0: Amazing. Uh, So when you say you and your two friends... You'd have found the members of the Metros book yeah,
3: club. Yeah, we set that up in the pub. Yeah. And, and put the fiver in. And, and the new yeah. books about the Metros yeah, book club. it's about 50 years though. of the history of that the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And, and the subtitle was The Power of Sport to Change Lives. Oh, I love that. And, and it really covers the. Trips abroad, we were the first um club we went over and did a tour of South Africa yeah. to reintroduce blind cricket post apartheid over there. And, Amazing, uh, and that was just and that,
0: but but the the point that I mean, the theme that we've talked about is that, and, and, and again, you talked about in your sort of um, you know yeah. mentoring and is that <clears throat> empowerment? Don't tell somebody what to do, just give them the yes. opportunity to change their own lives yeah. through support. You know, it's that element. It's that uh, yeah.
3: And the trip that we, we went on in 1974 to the Biter Stolen, that just became almost part of your DNA. So every year since then, I've been organising uh, trips over there, and I'm going next year, which will be the 50th year. Oh, amazing. Um And this year we had 32 um, blind people going over there to try skiing, many of them for the first time ever, because no one never thought they could do it. And the number of people then that come back and back and back uh, because they get that experience, they get that camaraderie, that link to a a guy that they've never met before, a Norwegian student or member of the army or whatever. You <coughs> tend
0: tend to, to stick with her. your guide, Mike? Do you tend to, like, once you've got a guide, do you tend to build, like, a longer-term relationship with your guide? It, or does it tend to change?
3: It depends on on what level you're then skiing at. So, yep. so most of them may be on a social contact with them if they've met them for the first time and then may not ever meet them again. Right. We then started to develop links with, Um, guides who then saw that we were competitive we've been to the Paralympics I met a a Norwegian um, businessman who acted as my guide in 1977 and uh, he he was a a top businessman a managing director of ICI Scandinavia married to an English uh, lady Um, and he and I then really hit it off and He then heard about our experience at the seventy-six games. You know, we were badly prepared, badly mm. equipped. Um, you know, all, all sorts of things. And he then said, "Well, if you're serious about it, you know, I'll I'll help you out." The next games are in eighty in uh, uh, in Norway. Um, so basically, I'll, I'll help will sponsor. You. And, yeah. and he remained then as part of our group he then acted as a guide uh to the skiers brought in his friends then they brought in the fa- uh, uh, his son uh, and and his son uh, then went on to um help with a fund uh and so oh, and they're that. still involved so so yeah his yeah. son and uh, his dad's now sadly passed away but his son's involved in his 60s now and they all then got all our guides so all of our guides then from really from 20, sorry, 1980 onwards,, yeah. we're all Norwegians, all through that, that link. And they flew all over the world to Japan, to um, uh, Canada, to America. But 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 supporting Team GB athlete. They right? they they were our guides in the in the races, oh, yeah. And yeah. so we paid for them to fly over there and uh, and do that. And then we would train over in Norway. So they would set up training camps for us. And uh, and and my original guide from 1974, he's then stayed in touch and. He's going to come back and guide me for my fiftieth year. Oh my, 50 years what a I Love he's, that. He's fantastic, and and so I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Whether that'll be my swan song or not, I don't know. But uh,
0: well, I mean, I mean, I, I think I think the interesting thing, Mike, is that. Um, continuing to break barriers and prove what can be done might be uh might be a new challenge right you yeah, know it's yeah, like, yeah. Sort of like sort of like so what what might be next um look i i think you know what i've, what I've got what i'm really conscious of it is literally we've just covered the surface of your story and i think i might have to invite you back to yeah. dig a bit deeper into yeah. some of some of these elements but I, I and i know that you've been involved in sport for years if you could really like sort of um encapsulate what you've learned being an athlete a paralympic athlete and being involved in the um olympic movement what do you think what do you think you've learned the most about being part of that community
3: i i think i think it's been interesting i think being an athlete um the self-discipline that you have to learn and and abide by has been a fairly massive boon for me in my career and my employment, in my relationships, etc. that I, you have to work with it. And yep. B, you, you have to really, um, you know, put the effort in uh, yeah. and, and, and all that self disciplinary bit of it. I think the other uh, bit of it is that it, it, it has the ability to change lives. If people have got that whole concept that, that, they start to manage something they never thought they'd be able to achieve, whether it be, you know, a very personal goal within athletics or, you know, some, something that they never thought they'd be able to do. That really does add so much value and to
0: that, you. And know. that's it. I mean, the point you made earlier about the reasons you do it... I think the, the starting point is always the battle with your own head, isn't yes. it? You know, it's yes. always that element of going. We
3: put the most been... barriers for ourselves. Yeah, I and, and when I'm talking to people, I'm saying, you know, <clears throat> we moan about the barriers that other people place upon us, and and uh, and they're very true. But you've got to start with examining your. You've own.
0: got to look in the mirror, haven't yeah, you?
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and 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 really say to yourself, okay you know it, it, am i a part of the a part of the issue you know yeah. is it is it my attitude to myself or... and
0: i've i've realized mike that i'm clearly comfortable in this conversation because i've used the phrase, look in the mirror, with absolutely no irony at all. Apologies for
3: that. No, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm a mirror guy. You've got to look in the mirror. I, I've got a the mirror. mirror a visual mirror. How oh, does an audio mirror work? Well, you're, you're basically listening back to what you're saying, almost. You're, you're thinking, uh, I, I does mean, that sound like bull?
0: Or does Yeah, that no, that's true. That yeah, just, I've got I had this image of an audio mirror going, Chris, you're so ugly. Well,
3: um. that, that means, I mean, sometimes that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Have, or you've just told a pokey, you know, yeah. with all the politics that we're around. Yeah, you know, it's some true. Audio yeah. mirrors might be. We um, we
0: we, we could do useful. we could do with an audio mirror yeah. actually. Yeah. I think particularly particularly politically.
3: And if we play back what someone said twenty years ago and ten years ago, then you know there, there's some very often some very big home truths to be looked
0: at. Yeah, I th- but but I think I think you know it's that element of um it's that element of learning from that i suppose is, is the big yeah. factor the bit that frustrates me sometimes is um again going back to like but not not wanting to get too political about it but i think some of the frustrations is when politicians don't look in the mirror you know and, yes. and can't admit yeah. yeah can't put their hands up and go Actually, I probably didn't handle that as well as I can across the political spectrum, yeah. not relating to one particular uh, party.
3: And it's uh, it's the notion that you're in the role to do something for other people. Yeah. And and then the issue is about the self-interest. And 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 it, funny enough, I mean, full circle, really, <clears throat> I've been a volunteer in the sporting world for years. You know, I've been um, um, running sports, been Paralympic chairman, all as a volunteer, you know, yeah. all one play. Yeah. And the issue is that it, it it's not a selfless uh role you're, you're there because you want to get something from it but at the same time getting something from it often means then giving something to other people i think it
0: starts with giving balance. back though doesn't yeah, it you exactly. know it starts there if the motivation's different it oh. it just um uh it, it just goes the other way but i think it's interesting there's some role you know some roles now society that seem to motivate people who don't start at that place, and they they start somewhere else. But yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I've I've read your books. I love your books. They made me laugh, um, uh, even at times when I felt I shouldn't have been. Um, but tell us a bit about your books.
3: Yeah, you know, again, it, it started in in the eighties, really, when um, I was you know being asked more and more um, about um you know interesting uh contributions to stuff for um you know different journals and different information <clears throat> and a publisher phoned me up and said oh we're interested in doing this uh, a book on x y and z and would you be interested in uh, uh writing a chapter or two well about an hour later we got off the phone and they ended up by saying well this has been really interesting you know rather than a chapter or two would you ever consider about You're writing out. a book yeah, and yeah i said well uh you know never really thought about it and went home and thought oh you know so i got me typewriter because there's no computers in those days so yeah I did me <clears throat> typing got the neighbor to um, do all the proofreading sent it in and they said yeah we love it and we'll publish it
0: love it
3: and and i, I just i couldn't believe it you know and suddenly had this book being published um, and and the knock-on effect from that was um, just unbelievable because I, um, I i mentioned the Olympics and the Paralympics well 76 Paralympics got covered by a, a documentary on the TV uh, called uh, this week and they did a documentary and flew a team over to film us so again something this notoriety six years later doing the book was being sent around for uh, various people and uh, landed on the desk of uh, the, the researcher for this is your life the yep, program that was yep, around them yep. and she said uh, well I know this guy is it was mad as a march air and basically might be worth considering so the book then prompted the this is your life show and then uh, it you know that that was in the early 80s and you're suddenly thinking oh this is fantastic and the book did well and then coming to retirement and uh finishing work and things like that i suddenly thought you know um 30 or 40 years on you know there's to a, more to tell. yeah yeah and, and 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 the second book is the first book was called where there's a will and it basically counters up what we've just saying, where there's will, there's usually a way. Yeah. And yeah. and and that's been a sort of mantra that I followed. And the second book is called Don't Ask Me, Ask the Dog, because basically situations arose, a bit like the crossing with Izzy over the crossing people don't think that that possibly I would know anything about where I'm going, <laughs> what I'm doing, and, and would often then ask me and then disregard what I was saying. So I'd say to them, well, don't ask me, ask me. Hey. And, and so that covers very much um, those early things with this year's life, right way through to being involved in London 2012 and yeah. the Paralympics and
0: stuff. Yeah. I absolutely love it, and then and then the new book. When when's that coming? The out?
3: new book should be available by um by by the late end of this year, November December. We're in our fiftieth year celebrations. It's basically going through proofreading, and then I'll uh, get a friend of mine to help uh, get it ready for uh, self publishing on Amazon, um, uh, both From in there. ebook and and uh, and in print.
0: No, I love it. Um, I'm going to give you a magic wand as one of our last questions and say to you, you can change anything you want about the views on disability. If you had a magic wand, what would you change?
3: I think it's around perceptions. I think how how Mm. we... Often put two and two together and make five, and I know, being a financial advisor, that's probably part of your <laughs> DNA, you know. Uh,
0: well, the oh, mate, that was low. Yeah, I mean, we, to we it got to, I mean, I've, I've avoided making any blind jokes all well, the way through, well, and there, far there, from there's a fight. There's a a sly financial planner
3: dig at the end. Yeah, but but basically, (laughs) I I think the issue is challenging people's perceptions and and getting them to, you know, think about what it is. You know, more people probably have got experience of disability now. Um, It's more in the public arena. So don't make an assumption based on either your limited knowledge. So, you know, generally ask ask. You know, rather than making
0: uh, you a You know, subject. you know what? I, do, you know, I mean, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm on a learning journey myself. But one of the things that I've, I've, I've learned, particularly through doing interviews of, for the podcast, is the importance of curiosity and empathy. Yeah. You know, those yeah. two elements, and saying, if I don't understand, just, just be curious about it. Yeah. I think is, is, is the key factor. So yeah, and want to know. Want,
3: yeah, yeah uh, enabling others. You know, getting. I, I, I run a, a charity and uh, to do with people losing their sight and many of them are newly um, lost their sight they're older people and you you know you at times you know you've caught up with various things and then you meet someone who gets so emotional they hug you as they're, and they're, and they say, you spend time with me talking to me for 10 minutes, I know, this some, and I'm thinking, How pathetic is that? That, that half an hour's time of listening yep. to
0: someone, yeah,
3: why can't we do that more often? Well, I, we? I,
0: but 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 this, but this is the big thing, isn't it? It's that element of what are we looking for in life, ultimately, and it's complicated and nuanced, but ultimately, we want to be filled with loved and cared for, don't yeah. we? And then, yeah. and and if if we can. Be kinder to each other by making sure that we just give some time, effort, and energy into just you know making sure that people. I mean, my kids are a nightmare because I, I tell them I love them every day, and they go, like, oh, "Dad, please yeah, don't say yeah, that yeah. again." Um, but I think when I look back, it's it's one of the things that you know I, I want them to know that I care, and yeah, and that, yeah. but I think if we can do that for others a bit more, that that's really good. And,
3: yeah, and I think that's that's the crucial line. You know, when when you speak to people and you listen to the needs and desperation and you thinking, you know, and it really takes me full circle back to these kids. Yes. 10, 12, 15 year old kids, you know, can make the wrong decisions. They can go down the, you know, the wrong pathway and someone just, perhaps listening to them, perhaps pointing them in the right direction. Yeah, not telling them, them the but
0: giving choice. them a nudge. Yeah, 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 giving them yeah, a nudge yeah, is, exactly. is, 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 is the fact exactly
3: Mike, where
0: can people find out a little bit about you, your books and the work you do?
3: The website is www.mikebrace.co.uk. Fair. So that, that's that got some bits on there. The books are on Amazon, so there's where there's a will and there's uh, don't ask me, ask the dog um and yeah so that are the, the big three sources really and um there are various other bits and pieces uh, <laughs> dotted around from talks that I've done but but yeah the
0: website's really good Website. it explains it explains yeah. loads um I, we definitely need to get you back on because I feel like we've done a... Uh, now you've insulted me at the end. I don't know if I can, but um, <laughs> but there's so much more I want to explore. So we'll get you back on for another interview. But thank you for joining us on The Kindness Project. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great
3: pleasure. And thanks very much for asking me.
0: And I don't know whether Charlotte's prepared anything for the end oh, of the show. You guys can waffle um, again
1: about so, whittling.
0: So since the end. I mean, what I'd like for so I don't think you we're going to get, gonna a get joke What 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 I'd like is a joke about whittling. But it's such a niche uh, conversation that I'm probably not going to get but a I, joke about whittling. I
2: pulled a joke. I'm well, going to get so a joke about... A
0: yeah, but I, when when do you stop being a whittler? If you haven't whittled for nearly thirty years, you're not a whittler anymore, are you? I know. You're I an point. ex-whittler. You're I don't a past I don't whittler. Like I'm a whittler. What when somebody asks you about whittling, what do you say? I used to whittle, but I don't anymore. I've tried it. You've no. tried whittling, right? I, wasn't an
2: whittler? Whittling? I, mean, I didn't wake up in the morning, coming uh, sweating, and thinking to myself, I've got to go downstairs and whittle. So you're not you're not a natural ball whittler. You're a, you're a, a wit, you've tried whittling, but whittling I wasn't for well, you. I've recently woke up in the middle of the night. Did you join a professional bathroom, whittling organization?
0: Did i ask? Did you join any sort of professional whittling organization? Is ever a professional? Were you part of a whittling him. club? Is ever a whittling club? You tell me. I'm not a whittler.
2: No, Are you good. going to look that up now? Are you no. going to Google Whitley clubs? This reminds me in the of the September Appreciation Society.
0: <laughs> you know what? I, I would love it, bro. So that, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. But I would absolutely love it if, for some bizarre reason, you got back into Whitley, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. And on that note, no. we'll talk about Whitley this week again. It's Charlotte's Joke of the Week.
1: Anyone want to join my prayer group for uh, woodworkers? How oh, funny! I was just going to send that to
0: you. Uh, anybody would like to join your prayer group for woodworkers? No.
1: It's called a year of or faith. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for a witness, <laughs> joke,
0: <laughs> not
2: you? Well done, Charlotte. <laughs>
1: I
0: found it online, and Mum just sent it to the group chat, and I was like, oh. Right, really? Really? Right, we need to, as joke of the week, as we're having a conversation on the podcast, all future (laughs) jokes need to be about what we're talking about on that particular podcast. So whilst we're playing the audio for the interview you need to find a little joke that... that. Would oh,
1: genius, I'm, that was I'm genius,
0: That was That really good. That- <laughs> I she
1: like, she's not going
0: to give us a joke. And I was like, not gonna <laughs> gonna give you a joke. <laughs> that was a little bit special. <laughs> on that note, um uh <laughs> have a lovely week, and we'll see you next time on The Kindness projects.
2: Bye. Bye.